hello everyone i'm reverend carla welcome to spirituality matters so now i invite you to settle in and let's find that sacred space between here where i am and there where you are and let's be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another okay let's get started this podcast is titled dear mr president and the the, ver the video version of this podcast was posted to TikTok um, la a few days ago, so last week from when we're, we're recording this. And uh, that has given me an opportunity to reflect on what I need to say during this podcast. And actually, I'm doing the first thing. I've, I've never done this before. I'm re-recording it because the response to that video uh, was so interesting that it it needs there there needs space for it here during this podcast so re-recording this because i love you all and i care about you and for especially for those of you who are trying to heal from your religious trauma and deconstruct from not only that religious indoctrinate indoctrination but patriarchal indoctrination, this conversation is very, very important. But I want to start this podcast by telling you how worried I am. I mean, I am truly, truly worried because I don't think we're taking the threat to our freedoms seriously enough. I think that we can easily get distracted from things that happen at the Oscars because we're all so focused on what happens with the stars versus, and I'm talking about movie stars and actors and actresses, versus what actually happened that can happen that truly impacts our lives and the future of our children. That's kind of like human nature. That's not something new, but it's so important right now to pay attention to what's going on. So what's going on is this intersectionality of the laws that have been passed and this extremist Christianity that is taking hold of our government. So I have said this, I want to remind you, I have said this time and time again, if you are not, if you are not white and if you are not male and if you are a Christian, then that is the, that is the only human who has the lowest risk of being impacted by some of the laws that are being passed. Every one of us will be impacted in some way, shape, or form. Now, recently, um, I also did a video regarding some of these laws, and a person, uh, his name was Jonathan, on TikTok commented, aside from interracial marriage, I think laws should be based on Christian morals and values. Okay, so here's Jonathan, and according to his profile, exactly what I said, a white male Christian who said, aside from interracial marriage, because according to Jonathan, that's okay. So the rest of us can go to sleep tonight if we have family members who are in an interracial marriage, if we have biracial uh, children, because Jonathan, the white Christian male, says that's okay. However, Jonathan goes on to say that laws in this country should be based on Christian morals and values. Are you paying attention? Are you listening to what's happening? Because that is exactly the foundational belief of the extremists. And I use that word on purpose because you have to understand that we will be impacted by these laws. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We know that there are people 
in government right now who are what they call originalists. And originalists believe that they that all the laws that we have created to make way for people that are that the that the original language in our constitution and our declaration of independence who didn't actually make room for them. So for instance, we know that when they were talking about all men created equal, they were never talking about women. Women didn't have rights. They were not talking about black uh, men and women. We, we made these amendments to say, okay, we have rose to a higher level of compassion and a higher level of understanding of how important human rights are versus protecting religious beliefs or values. So we're going to make these amendments to make it very clear that this nation's constitutional foundation is protecting human rights. They want to strip all those amendments away so that we're going back to the original documents. So the reason I, I also, like I said earlier, I re-recording this podcast, I did something else I've never done before. I actually pulled the blog that goes with this because the blog was simply the letter that starts, Dear Mr. President. But like I said, when I posted that video and I saw all the comments from people who are supportive of President Biden, who uh, consider themselves liberals, who consider themselves, I guess you would call what we call, what we're call, often called snowflakes, who consider themselves you know, working for human rights, attacked me about that video. They attacked me because they saw the words that I said challenging Biden to be accountable for his campaign promises that he said he would protect voting rights. And he said that he would do more to help even out the playing field when it comes to racial uh, discrimination. He talked about defunding police. That has not happened. And so all of these things that have happened, yes, and, and I know he's a busy man. He also knew that he was signing up for a job for the first time in American history that probably was more important than anything else we've gone through before the, after the Civil War. So Biden needed to understand how important his role was going to be in that. And he's had certainly plenty of other teams and task force and cabinet members working on all the other projects, but he is not taking this threat seriously. So I knew my open letter to President Biden had the potential to be viewed as controversial, but I didn't expect how many people who I would consider allies or, you know, like-minded would actually attack me, but I'm going to stand by every word I said. There isn't one thing that I said in that video that I regret. There isn't one, I have not changed anything in that blog that you will, you will hear, and I'm not changing anything that I say today. I stand by every word I wrote in that. But what was interesting was how many people just assumed because I challenged President Biden's lack of movement in these areas that say, you know, the, the, the midterms are racing towards us. They are literally right around the corner. We have no time left to protect voting rights. We have no time left to get out there and make people aware of how dangerous this time in our society is. This has everything to do with religion. If you ask me, okay, Rev. Carla, why are you getting so political? Because this has everything to do with religion and religious indoctrination. So 
after reading hundreds of comments where people were saying, I was just expecting too much of President Biden and I needed to, I needed to back off and I wasn't being helpful. And couldn't I see that this was really, really bad? This was not helpful. And I was hurting. I was hurting the process that he and all the progress that he had made. I want to tell you all so that if that's you, if that's you and, did, and you just vehemently disagree with that letter and you are so disappointed in me, you are entrenched 100% in patriarchal indoctrination. That's what patriarchal indoctrination is. When you feel that you cannot challenge leadership because then you are viewed as disloyal. So let me give you just a quick expl explanation before we go into this. So here's patriarchal. Patriarchy means this, a societal, governmental, religious, or familial system in which the father or eldest or chosen male is head of the structure and women are relegated to a subservient or lesser roles. Now, we could go a lot of different places with this because you can be a woman and still be indoctrinated and entrenched and protective of patriarchal indoctrination. You still can be. I have it happen all the time. And I know at one time I was that person because for the longest time, oh, I'm a woman. I can't be a minister. I'm, boy, I can keep the church kitchen going. You know, I, I know how to rock out a funeral and take care of the nursery. I thought, okay, that's, that's because that's God's will over my life. So let's not, you know, we, we won't have time to go down that very far, but it's very important to understand that patriarchal indoctrination isn't just us having this mindset that, okay, we, we know that these, these patriarchal systems have men in most of the time, white men in positions of power, and we just have to abide by it, whether we like it or not. Oh, no, people blindly support it. And that's exactly what was happening, what was happening here. So when you're looking at patriarchal indoctrination, it just means that you have been influenced or subjected to patriarchy. To, so you, you identify so closely to this that you fail to recognize when you are protecting it and how much damage that protection does rather than calling out the damage it is doing. So it's easy to see elements of patriarchal ideologies. And those are the ones, like I said, about women being uh, unqualified and then how women also judge other women and say, oh, well, she shouldn't wear that outfit because that's not appropriate. Men will find her seductive. Men will find her, will, will interpret her wrong. That's all patriarchal indoctrination. We should be celebrating women who have the confidence and doesn't matter what their body what their body type is, if they want to celebrate themselves in any way, shape or form and, and, and close, then, then let's, let's do that. I, I, you know, that, that to me is a, then I will have to admit that there was a time when I didn't feel that way, that I believed in that purity culture element that was taught to us inside religious indoctrination that said that if a man falters, it's a woman's fault. It always comes back to a woman's fault. No matter what, what happens. And again, I have so many rabbit holes where we could go down this path, but I'm going to try to stay, uh, keep it clean here because like I said, I had lots to talk about here, but the most dangerous thing about this situation is that the indoctrinated, and in this case, the people who are attacking me believe that holding their leader accountable is betrayal, holding a leader accountable to what they said. So in other words, 
we have all decided that we're just going to accept that politicians make campaign promises that we know they'll never keep. They're just going to play the game. Then that is that is our fault. That is our fault for believing that and being a part of that system that does not hold them accountable. That's our indoctrination, our willingness to be indoctrinated into that into that role, into that system. So politicians can say whatever, and we're not going to hold them accountable. So time and again, people were saying, don't blame Biden. It's Manchin's fault. It's Cinema's fault. It's, Repu it's Republicans' fault. It's Trump's fault. And this just kept going on and on. He's busy. There's a war in Ukraine. Don't you know everything that's happening? But this perpetuates the patriarchal indoctrination, which part of the patriarchal indoctrination in American politics, especially, is the victim and the victor. And what this does is it sets up a system where the leaders can remain accountable, unaccountable, but they reap the rewards of the system. So that is American democracy. It's a patriarchal system that we have willingly supported since the founding fathers wrote the documents that laid out groundwork for a nation independent of, of uh, British rule. So this two-party system that we've had forever, and I'll be the first person to say that I have tossed my vote to a third-party candidate many a times. I can't even count because I always felt that we needed more than two parties representing the people. And so, you know, somewhere along the line, even though I have never been really active in politics, I know that this system is broken. But this system, we seem to accept it ebbs and flows as one party gains power and the other regroups and prepares for things to turn back in their favor. But we should be absolutely terrified. We should be absolutely terrified that Democrats seem willing to continue to play this game. So in other words, the midterms are going to happen and these extremist Christian politicians are going to be in power and Democrats seem to be saying, well, we're just going to bide our time until it's our turn because then what happens? So once again, this perpetuates that victim victor. So the, the leaders of this, of, of the Democrats that are, that are there now, they're just going to walk away. They're going to be unharmed. They've made millions in this system. They're not the ones that's going to pay the price. Joe Biden's grandsons, had, grandchildren had $2,000 tennis shoes on at the inauguration. I don't begrudge them that. I do not begrudge them. But that is the, that's the level of wealth that we're talking about here for our politicians. They're not going to feel what's getting ready to happen if these extremist Christians come into play. They're not going to have any, that's not going to have any impact on them because they are protected behind their, will, their millions and their private schools and their private jets that will take them wherever they need to go. They will not be impacted by this. Now, I want to, I want to repeat, I voted for Joe Biden. I would vote for him again, but I also want to hold him accountable. Two things can be true. The difference is people who are de deconstructed from patriarchal indoctrination actually looks at these systems and says, I want you to be accountable for what you're not doing because the old system is no longer working and it's walking us down a path that is so dangerous. I'm not sure American democracy will survive because that is exactly the point of the extremist Christian politicians if they get in to power. So we have to accept that the people that are in power, both 
Democrats and Republicans have contributed to this system and its brokenness is what is happening right now, that we are just months away from a midterm and not one politician, not one politician has ever mentioned extremist Christianity. Not one politician has been brave enough to call this what it is. Not one politician has said, we need to be talking to church leaders. If this isn't your, if you're not affiliated to this, then what are you doing to educate your congregation on the dangers of extremist Christianity? Because let's face it, there's no separation right now, church and state, none at all. So the only way we're going to win and, and succeed in protecting our freedoms and our democracy is to play a different game. But the Democrats and Republicans are tied to this game because their pockets, the lobbyists and political operatives have their hands so deep into the pockets of our politicians, even the ones that we voted for. And those are the, those, are the, those political operatives who contribute to those politicians are the reasons you have people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos who don't pay their fair share of taxes. And we don't really talk about that. Meanwhile, they're talking about these little menial taxes that affect the middle class because they know how much that hurts those Americans. And those are the talking points that they try to prick, prick you with while you're over here, while all these multi-billionaires are getting away with not paying their fair share, which would make a huge difference in how much money is available to move this country forward in compassionate, caring ways. And that may sound extremist in itself, but when are we ever going to look at the checks and balances that are really out of balance here. So when Joe Biden said, promised that he would protect voting rights, then what else needs to happen to protect them? We know what the extremists are capable of doing. This isn't, this isn't Trump's fault. Trump is just a face on an energy that has always been there. And I have said this time and again, I was seven years old when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered. I was, I was alive during the, the desegregation of schools. We're not talking ancient, ancient history. Those people that are still alive, that, that were voting back there and fighting equal rights are in politics. They're still voting, they have power. They've been simmering with a rage for years, and they started a strategy 50 years ago to take back what they see as harm to their quote. Remember Jonathan's comment, Christian morals and values, because granting equal rights to, to historically marginalized people is somehow not a Christian value, and you can take that to the bank. That's exactly what it is. Women's rights forget that. So like I said, two things can be true. And this is especially true for people who are looking at deconstructing from any kind of indoctrination. So it, religious indoctrination compels you to rise up above a situation and say, okay, what's happening here? What's really happening here? Who's in control and why? And should they be? Because that's how so many church leaders for so many years have gotten by with some of the most corrupt and illegal activity because they've been untouchable because of this indoc patriarchal indoctrination. It holds the same truth for politics. 
So for those of us who have deconstructed, rise above all that noise that says this is cinema's fault, this is mansion fault, says, oh no, what else are you doing? You aren't doing enough. So two things can be true. And we should always be able to look at things like that. That's how you know that you are truly deconstructing. So I can be very supportive of this president. I've already said that if he runs again, I will vote for him, but I can also challenge him and hold him accountable. I should be, because now more than ever, we should be expecting a new type of leadership rather than the old patterns that contributed to our nation's crisis. So I will continue to call out Christian extremism because our political leaders are not. They should be. There is a lot more that Biden could be doing. A lot more. It's not enough. We should be standing on the corners of the streets yelling this out to everybody. We're actually putting together a resource guide of things that you can do to help protect America's freedom, America's democracy. So please be looking for that very soon because we know that you're looking for ways to help. So now I will read, dear Mr. President, and I know for some of you, I'll be getting emails about why you don't agree with this letter. And before you send them, I want you to consider where you are with your, your religious and your patriarchal indoctrinations in your life, because they're there. If you cannot see, if you think that right now our leaders are doing enough, they're not. We're, we are marching towards the midterms and friends, I am terrified and you should be too. Dear Mr. President, I have no expectations that you will actually read, let alone respond to this letter. In all honesty, I write it for another audience, my grandchildren. You see, Mr. President, one day they will read this letter and know that I wrote to the highest governmental office in our nation to share my concerns about our country and the threat to our freedoms. Mr. President, you took office during a highly tumultuous time. We were in the midst of a global pandemic and you were tasked with the monumental burden of leading us through it. I applaud your efforts and the work you have done to put us on a sustainable road to recovery. But as serious as the pandemic is, Mr. President, there is even a greater threat looming, and that is the fate of our democracy. With all the respect to your role as Commander-in-Chief, if we do not hasten our actions and work as if our very existence depends on it, your legacy will not be of the one who led us through a global health crisis, but the one who was on guard when American democracy died. Allow me, Mr. President, to pause here and say that I eagerly and willingly voted for you. It was more than a vote for you. It was a vote against fascism. I trusted that you would act with the necessary sense of urgency to protect everyone, especially historically marginalized communities, from those who clearly want to turn these United States into a one religion, one party totalitarian society. Mr. President, take a look around. Look at the laws that are being passed that restrict voting, strip away women's rights, and do horrific harm to the LGBTQIA community. These laws will also suppress our history, which should be taught in schools and ensure systemic racism will live on in perpetuity. After the January 6th attack on our United States Capitol, there was radical talk of ways to protect our nation so that fascists would not prevail. I use the word radical in a favorable light, meaning that we seem to understand that the cracks and flaws in our system had been exposed and found to be insufficient to protect the, the quote, great American experiment. End quote. Radical ideas were bantered about as political experts offered their views on ways to mitigate this grievous threat. 
Some of these radical ideas included protection of voting rights, expansion of Supreme Court, elimination of the filibuster, conviction of those who participated in the January 6th attack, and prevention of politicians who participated in that attack from seeking office. Yes, Mr. President, radical ideas indeed are called for when those who would see our nation destroyed have shown how far they are willing to go to annihilate American democracy. Radical ideas are needed to ensure they will not succeed. During your campaign, you seem to understand this. When you appeared on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, you discussed the need for police reform and you shared your concern about the false narrative of election fraud. Speaking about former President Donald Trump, you stated, quote, the thing we're doing is calling out every lie he in fact is saying, as well as we're calling out and making a case that this guy is not a good guy, end quote. Do you remember that interview, Mr. President? Do you remember sharing your concern that Donald Trump was not a good guy? With the passage of time, your statements proved to not only be correct, they were primitive. Mr. President, you have been championed as the one who could unite the divide along party lines to get things done. But we have watched in horror as no significant changes have come from the legislative and executive branches that would protect us from extremist religious factions. Meanwhile, state legislators are chipping away at our rights that spiral us back into a time when only the white Christian male was ensured a safe and civil existence. Radical ideas, Mr. President, they are what we need and we must act with a greater sense of urgency than those who would bring fascism to America. Your low approval ratings are reflective of a nation that voted for you, yet you do not appear to be listening to, a nation that is slowly being stripped of its rights to live and exist freely. Mr. President, I began this letter by saying that I have no expectations that you will respond to or even read this. But if by some chance you do, please know that it, was, it is with the utmost respect for the office you hold that I say this. Please act now. Act as if our lives depend on it because they do. For a time such as this, you were called to the highest office of our country. You willingly step, stepped into this role. You promised you would quote, call out the lies, end quote, and you promised voting rights for all. You promised police reform, and you promised that you would find a way to get the job done. With all due respect, sir, get the job done now before it is too late. Your legacy depends on it. My grandchildren depend on it. Our nation's grandchildren depend on it. Radical? No. Doing what must be done to protect freedom and equality is not radical. It is sacred. Sincerely yours. Reverend Carla, blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you and I pray that you receive something. I know that I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.